0: It's my intention to take this psalm and initially I was going to preach it all in uh, one message and due to Thanksgiving and other things I decided to actually split it up into two. So this morning we're going to be looking at uh, the first three verses of this psalm and then Lord willing in two weeks, my wife and I are going to be absent for a week, Lord willing, two weeks from today, if the Lord be pleased, we will take the last half of this psalm. This psalm is a very interesting psalm, <clears throat> and it captivated my attention as I was repraying through these psalms and really gripped my heart to want to know more about it, <clears throat> especially in the light of really the fears of our day. Someone mentioned earlier in the service about all the troubles and the words and things that are being said here and there. and It's so easy for sheep to get fearful. Wolves don't get fearful, they get mean. Goats <laughs> just like to butt, right? But sheep, <clears throat> sheep by their very nature are fearful creatures. And our assurance as a sheep is in the shepherd. If we have confidence in the shepherd, then we are assured that we can graze in peace and in safety. And the Lord is our what? He is our shepherd, and we shall not lack. So let's read this psalm together, Psalm 11. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, Flee as a bird to your mountain. For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in the heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. And the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold His face. What a blessed way to end that psalm. As we read in our scripture reading today, we read the first two psalms, and I want us to turn back there. Most modern commentators today in attempting to try to find some form of outline through the five books of the Psalms, really there has come to be a consensus that these first two Psalms lay the foundation for the other Psalms that are listed here in these five books of Psalms. And as we noted in our scripture reading, we basically have two categories of people. The first category of people is in Psalm 1, verse 1, and that is the blessed man. And of course, the blessed man ultimately is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Really, even with his people, our meditation is not night and day, right? But his meditation was 24-7. So on one side of the coin, you have The blessed man, the man who will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, yielding its fruit in its season, leaf that will not wither, and everything that he does will prosper. This is the blessed man. The other category of people, you can probably already guess who they are, and they are the wicked. And you'll notice at the end of Psalm 1, <clears throat> in verse 4, he says, the wicked are not so. In Psalm 1, verses 4 through 6, he's referring to the wicked man as an individual. The wicked man does not plant himself firmly by streams of water. He is not fruitful in his season He is withering away, you'll notice in Psalm 1 verse 4, like the chaff which the wind drives away, and they will not stand in the day of judgment. Then in Psalm 2, what you have is wicked people gathering themselves together into groups of people, and those groups of people are represented, Psalm 2 verse 1, by the nations, Why are the nations in an uproar? Why are their collections of people devising a vain thing? Why, verse 2, are the kings of the earth, the rulers of those nations, taking their stand, counseling together, and they're doing it against the Lord and against His anointed, against the Messiah, that same messiah whom he says verse 6 of psalm 2 that he has installed as king upon his holy mount of zion and he will actually identify who this messiah is in verse in psalm 2 down in verse 12 when he says do homage to who to the son Who is the anointed one? Who is the Messiah? Who is the king? It is the Son of God. And God tells these nations and tells these rulers that they are to worship the Lord with reverence, regardless of whether they are the nation Israel or whether they are the nations, the Gentile nations. They are to worship the Lord with reverence and they are to have their rejoicing with trembling and they are to bow the knee to the Son. Why? Lest that King become angry and wicked people perish in the way and His wrath will soon be kindled. So as we look through the book of Psalms and brethren, you've read through the Psalms many times. In fact, it is kind of common knowledge that if Christian people name at least their top three books of the Bible that they love to read, guess what trickles to the top of that list? It is the book of Psalms. Because we can really identify with these Psalms and in our pilgrimage. And as you think through those psalms and you think about wicked people taking counsel together against God's Messiah King, against His people, when you think about the blessed people on the earth, the truly blessed people, you see a conflict between those two people in the psalms, don't you? Folks, how many times does David pray because he has enemies over and over and over again doesn't he and he is praying to that Messiah King he's praying to Yahweh for him to intervene in this dark world the world says the wicked say we are the blessed ones We love our wickedness. We love our own ways. We love to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, and how we want to do it. We love those wicked ways, and we're the blessed ones. We're the ones that have the money. We're the ones that have the power. We're the ones that have the influence. In fact, if you look at the blessed ones on the earth, they, in contrast to the eight billion people on the earth are very much a remnant on the face of this earth. I don't know if you saw in the newspaper last week we crossed eight billion people on this planet and the overwhelming majority of them do not know the Lord and they are gathered together whether they be morally good, wicked people, or whether they just be outright wicked people, they are all gathered themselves together to various forms and degrees against the Lord and against His Messiah. But folks, it is true, as we look at Psalm 11, it is true that blessed people People that have been shown favor by the Lord can be in fear. They can have to deal with fears. And this psalm readily exposes itself to an outline. And you'll see right away in Psalm 11 verse 1, that David begins to answer a question that a counselor of his, an advisor of his, maybe even a fellow believer of his, has counseled him in light of the situation that is going on in that nation at that moment. You say, well, what situation is it? We're not sure what that situation is. Most commentators think that this is probably referring to him running away from Saul. We don't know that that's the occasion. The psalm doesn't give us any hint of what the context, the historical context of that is. But we do know that David begins to answer, in the Lord I will take my refuge. Why? Because of the counsel that he's hearing. What is he hearing? Well, look at verse 1 again. How can you say to my soul? Do you hear the counsel? How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. David, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? That was the counsel that David is responding to right off the bat in this psalm. How does he respond to that counsel? He responds this way. In the Lord I take my what? I take my refuge. Everybody see that? Then in verses 4 through the end of this psalm, David is going to give to us the reason he's responding this way. Why is he responding this way to the fears that are coming to him? They're coming to him in his soul. Why is he responding? In the Lord I take my refuge. Well, it's this, and we'll just read it again. Here's why. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in the heaven. Now folks, what we're seeing here is we're seeing theology applied in wisdom to one's circumstances. If I was to ask you today, is the Lord in heaven, everybody would do what? we would nod our heads and say, why, yes. If I were to say to you, the Lord is on his throne, what would we say? Would you answer that correctly on a quiz? The answer is yes. But folks, you've got to apply it when the fears strike you. Everybody see that? And I have found historically in my ministry and in my interactions with God's people and in many cases even in my own life I know the theology is the application is where I fail. I fail to take what I know about the Lord and use it in my battles against my fears and how many of God's people have fears All of us have fears. Different areas, different venues of life, different things. What may cause you to fear may not cause me to fear. But there are fears in this life. And folks, the fears are all coming from the circumstances of wicked people in this life. What is going on around us? And so he says, verse 5, The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. Do you think the Lord tests the wicked? Do you think the Lord ever tests you? He tests both. And what he finds and what he judges is is that the one who loves violence, his soul hates. And so he does this upon the wicked. Verse 6, he will rain snares, fire, and brimstone, and burning wind. And folks, when you read verse 6, what immediately does your mind think about? You immediately think about Sodom and Gomorrah, don't you? So there's lessons here. And then he concludes, here's the reason why in the Lord I take my refuge... Verse 7, because the Lord is righteous, he doesn't love violence, he loves righteousness, and the upright will behold his face. So everybody see how that outline goes? Very easy to discern that if you just kind of slow down a little bit. We got David's response right out of the gate. We have what the counsel was that was being given to him, And then we have a reason why David is not fleeing like the counselor told him to do. So this morning I want to consider in the Lord I take my refuge. And then two weeks from now I want to consider what can the righteous do in light of these things? So the first thing I want us to notice here in Psalm 11 is the inscription that is above verse 1. It says that this is for the choir director, a psalm of who? A psalm of David. Now what we can discern from that is not a lot, but what we can discern from that is that this psalm Though it did have a historical context that we don't know, and though this psalm was specifically written in response to that historical context, really the psalm really has generic aspects to it that God's people can apply to whatever their fears are. Because we don't know exactly what is going on, the specifics, the details. This was written to the director, understood, the choir director, and it was David himself who formulated this psalm. He wrote it. He was the human instrument, but the psalm is coming from the mouth of the Messiah King, Christ himself. So what do we know from that? Well, we know that it's didactic. What do I mean when I say it's didactic? I mean that it is instruction to us. When we have fears, and when I asked the question, how many of God's people have fears, everyone muttered, we all do. So this psalm is applicable to every one of us. It is instructive. Secondly, this psalm was to be sung in worship. That's an amazing thing. What's the purpose of singing it? (laughs) Well, remember what the New Testament says for us to do. We're to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in Psalms. Now, folks, when we sing a song... We sing it unto the Lord, but it's also singing to one another when we sing. In other words, this is something that we need to hear as a people of God. And we need it sung to us. We need it coming to us very, very frequently. It was to be used in the regular pattern of worship in that nation. And then I think the third thing that it can tell us generically is that this psalm gives us a confident response to bad counsel. (laughs) Have you ever gotten bad counsel? Have you ever gotten bad counsel that you thought was good and then you figured out later it was not good? (laughs) It was bad counsel. This is a confident response. Why do I say confident? Because, folks, right out of the bat, he just kind of blurts out, in the Lord I take refuge. It's almost like he heard this, how can you say to me, flee as a bird, that his immediate response was this, in the Lord I'm going to take refuge. It is a confident response to bad counsel. And folks, what really makes this interesting is if the counsel was coming from one of David's trusted advisors. You know, as a king, you just didn't say, I'm the king, I always know what's right, and I always know what's wise. You would have wise, at least in your eyes, you would have wise men around you. Men who are not necessarily yes men, they would be loyal men, but not necessarily yes men, but men that would have the nation's interest and the Lord's interest at heart, who are looking at that thing, looking at the circumstances from different venues and different angles. One person may note this, and another person may note that. What if this was coming from an advisor? What if it was coming from the consensus of the wise men? And maybe the head or the president of the wise men came, like Daniel did when he came to Nebuchadnezzar. What if he was representative and this was the counsel that was given? This is David's confident response to that counsel. And it was a sharp contrast. We might even say it was a sharp rebuke. And, folks, you and I are receiving counsel every day of our lives. We receive counsel <coughs> from the culture, you get it from commercials. <coughs> You get it from the internet. You get it from images you see. You get it from captions of images that you see. You get it from articles that you read. How much of that might be bad counsel? You get it from the world. The world is always out there. And I've determined, I didn't think this when I was younger, but I think that the sole aim of the world is to try to get you to worry. They've always got you worrying about something. You're not gaining enough money. You're, not, you're going to lose the money you gained. You don't have enough. It's always kind of a worry or anxiety syndrome. This is coming to us every day of our lives. It can come to us in the music that you listen to. It can come to you through other believers. We all have differing maturities, don't we? Other believers can strike these things to you. But folks, probably the counselor that we never get away from is our own. It's our own thoughts. It's our own reactions. It's our own meditations, whether they be good or whether they be bad. When you wake up, you're receiving counsel from yourself. When you walk through the day, you are developing counsel to yourself. Which things are you going to follow? And when you lay your head on your bed at night and no one else is around and there's no music playing and there's no, nothing loud noise coming your way, you are alone, as the psalmist would say, with your own counselors in your head. And then, even worse, you might even dream counsel through the night. Folks, we are bombarded by things and people and motions of our own hearts that are always trying to give us advice. And folks, that advice that we're receiving can strike fear in our hearts. So what I want to do is I want to look at this psalm kind of backwards. I want to first of all look at the counsel, and then secondly, I want to look at the response to that counsel. What is the counsel? Well, it begins this way. David says, how can you give this counsel? Here's the counsel. What's the first word of the council? Flee. Everybody, see that? Flee as a bird to your mountain. That's basically the counsel that is being given. And, folks, <clears throat> the reason why that counsel is coming is because of the circumstances of our life. that strikes fear in our souls. The counsel is to flee. The counsel is to flee away from what's causing you the fear. The counsel is to try to get you to do everything you can to get rid of the fears. And folks, you don't have to be a king to be put into this position. You don't have to be David. You don't have to be a ruler of a nation for this to happen. This can come when you hear the word cancer. That strikes fear, doesn't it? It can come when you hear the diagnosis of a sickness. It can come when you hear something that the wicked are doing or not doing. And folks, this counsel is often given. In the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was asked, let's go into the temple of the Lord. Let's hide ourselves there. Why? Because, Nehemiah, there are people who are trying to kill you. And here's the interesting thing in Nehemiah 6, verses 10 through 13, is that the people that are giving him that bad counsel is a prophet and prophetess. They are people who are saying to them, This is the Lord's will for you. Thus saith what? Thus says the Lord flee to the temple, hide yourself in the temple. There are people that are trying to kill you. Two people who are professing the religion of Israel had been hired by Sanballat and Tobiah to give to him that false prophecy. And folks, I love what Nehemiah says. Nehemiah says, Who am I? <laughs> who am I... <clears throat> to flee into the temple of the Lord to try to hide myself. Am am I that important? No, I'm not going to do that. And the Bible says that he perceived that they had been hired by these two wicked men to get him to do that so that an evil report could be brought up about him. And, folks, this even happened in the life of our Lord. In the book of Luke, chapter 13, <clears throat> the Pharisees came to the Lord and they said, Flee, because Herod is seeking your life. Did you hear that? Flee! The government is after you, Christ. And in Luke 13, verse 31, Jesus responds this way Go tell that she fox. Today I'm doing this, and tomorrow I'm doing that. But on the third day, I'll rise again. In other words, what was he saying? I'm not going to flee. My time has not yet come. And when my time comes, I'm not going to flee from that either. And folks, to call somebody a fox might be taken as a compliment, but to call somebody a she-fox was not a compliment. So do God's people receive bad counsel? Did our Lord receive bad counsel? And folks, all that counsel is given to try to strike fear in our soul here's the fear what do you do with it you flee as a bird to your mountains folks fear is an awful passion Fear strikes at the very heart of a believer. It strikes, first of all, at our peace. There's the peace with God, there's the peace of who? Of God. And if our minds meditate on that circumstance, on that fear, what happens is is that which is guarding our heart from anxiety collapses. Fears are like a buttress that keep hitting that wall to strike in our hearts. David says, "Why are you saying this to my what? To my soul? Why are you doing that? Fear can blind your mind. It can cause you to misunderstand a circumstance. It can cause you to be in a position where you don't know what to do. And folks, what happens is is that when fears broach this wall, this peace of God, when it broaches that wall, and it begins to darken our understanding, it will push you to vain thoughts. You will begin to meditate on thoughts that you and I should not be meditating on. And folks, the more you meditate on the fear, the bigger the fear gets. The stronger and more powerful the fear gets. Am I right? All of us have experienced this. And folks, when it strikes through the defense of God's peace in our heart and it begins to darken our understanding and it begins to push us toward vain thoughts, what it will do then is it wants to make you a slave to the fear. It will enslave you to this that you will end up making decisions based on your vanity of mind. And folks, when it enslaves you, then it can go this far. It will bring you to a full persuasion that what you have imagined will happen. It hasn't happened, but you're enslaved to that fear and now you're fully persuaded that the fear that you are imagining will happen. So what do we do? Folks, what do we do naturally? We take steps to save our lives. That's why David's being counseled to flee to his mountains. In order to save his life from the wicked... Look at it again, verse 2, who have made their arrow ready, who have bent the bow, and they're going to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. You are fleeing to save your life. You're not making sound judgment. You're not walking in sobriety. You're not seeking the counsel of the Lord. You're fleeing... Like a startled bird flees. When my wife and I first were seeing one another, she lived on a big cattle ranch. Her father used to have cattle, and then he got tired of fixing all the fences and everything, so he ended up just leasing the uh, field out to other people that had cattle. Well, what happened in that field is pheasants and quail would come down and they would make their nest right there in the ground in the thick grass. And so you could be walking through the field and you would hear actually nothing. And then all of a sudden, it would startle you. There would be a bird that just comes shooting right out of that grass away because that bird thinks that it's in danger. It's startled, and so it flees like that. That's the picture that this psalm is giving. And folks, when we are persuaded that what we have imagined will happen, then we will seek to save our own life. We will do everything we can To circumvent the imagined fears that we are confident are going to happen. And, folks, I've seen a lot of believing people make wrong decisions in times like that. A believer loses his job, he's thinking to himself, Well, I have to have money to live. Got to take care of my family. All those things are what? True. But really what's driving that man's decision, that woman's decision, is fear. And they find a job. It pays more. Shifts them to a new location, a new geographical location. And lo and behold, there's not not a good church there. But they really don't care because they're providing for the family and, you know, you can just go to any type of assembly, it's okay, I can survive, I can do the reading on my own, whatever. I can look on the internet, get supplemental. And it has an effect upon their soul. And folks, in our culture today, we're hearing all kinds of things from our leaders. Threats. Injustices. Taking steps to literally undermine the very foundation of our constitutional republic. And it is striking fear into the hearts of people. And they're like a startled bird. We've got to do something to save our lives, our culture, our manner of living. We've got to do something about it. I know what we'll do. We will overrun Congress. Was that the right thing to do? No? It's like a startled bird seeking to save its life. And folks, when I'm walking through that field, I'm not even looking for the bird. (laughs) I am no danger to the bird, but the bird thinks what? The bird thinks I am. In fact, you know that if you ever go quail hunting, take your little shotgun, all you got to do is get that bird to get startled because if they get startled, they come out of their place of safety and they just seeking to fly away and then, boom, dinner time. Flee, flee to your high place of safety. And folks, unfortunately, this startled reaction is natural, it's earthly, And it's involuntary, even in God's own people. To trust in our own mountain. Look at the verse again. Look at verse 1. Flee as a bird to whose mountain? Your mountain. And folks, we all have our little make-safe places that we feel secure and safe in. Ahab thought he was safe if he could get Jehoshaphat to wear the king's robes. But God knew where he was at, didn't he? We all have our little make-safe places, our enclaves, where we go when we are startled. We all have our little methods of providing our soul security because we don't like to be startled. We don't like the fears, rightfully so. But instead of embracing the fears, there's other things that we should be doing. Now, David gives the counsel, flee as a bird to your mountain. Now look at verse 2. The counselor is going to give a reason for this counsel. And here's the reason. For behold, folks, he's telling David to stop and observe the circumstances. David, flee as a bird to your mountain because behold, look at this, David. The wicked bend the bow, they're making ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. And if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And, folks, that's what bad counselors will do. They will tell you to set your eyes to observe with your own eyes the circumstances. Circumstances, now please hear me, that are public. And they are validated. This isn't some false imagination. This is the reality that David is facing. Wicked people have gathered themselves together and they are doing this preparation for you, David, and for God's people. Look at this. We're not dreaming this up, David. This is our counsel to you. Flee, because this is truly the way things are going. And folks, where we place our eyes are very important. We don't deny the realities of life around us. Psalm 2, we read that, right? Psalm 2 says this is the reality. The nations are raging. The wicked are gathering themselves together against the Lord and against His Messiah and His people. That's the reality of life. The only thing is, is whether it's ebbing in or out, but it's still ebbing. The wicked are like the sea tossing up the dirt all the time. What is he telling him to observe? Number one, wicked people are preparing their weapons. It says, Behold, the wicked bend the bow. And, folks, what you do when you bend the bow, I don't have much knowledge of archery. I have a little. I did it when I was in the Boy Scouts when I was younger. Well, what you do is you take the bow and you will actually put it on the ground and you'll bend the bow in order to put the string around it. What are they doing? They're preparing their weapons. And it was evident that they were doing this. This was public. It wasn't a secret. It had come to David. It had come to his counselors. They are preparing to execute violence upon the righteous. Everybody see that? Do you think there's anybody today in our nation that is preparing? Secondly, they are loading and sharpening their arrows. It says they make ready their arrow upon the string. folks, they are not only preparing the weapon that is going to shoot the instrument of death, they are preparing the instrument of death itself. And not only that, but you'll notice here also, it says that they're going to shoot in darkness. What are they doing? Folks, the wicked... And their plots and their violence that are real are going to come to us totally unforeseen. David knows they're preparing, doesn't he? He knows they're sharpening their arrows, but when are they going to execute it? They have no idea. It is unforeseen. It's coming out of the dark. Folks, when it's dark, you can't what? You can't see into it. And that's the thing about fears, is they hit us from our blind side. It's unexpected. And it's unseen. Folks, it could come... It could come from a trusted friend. I'm thinking about Judas. It could come totally blindsided. A person who you've trusted maybe for years has been plotting in the dark on when to execute the time for the right blow now <clears throat> what does he mean by the word arrow now it's evident that it could literally mean an arrow <laughs> right okay but i want you to turn over to psalm 64 Because in this psalm, I'm going to read it with very little comment, but in this psalm, it is very much similar and has similar ideas to what we find in Psalm 11. And you'll notice also, this is for the choir director, a psalm of David. Now, let's just read beginning in verse 1. Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Preserve my life from dread of the enemy. Verse 2. Hide me from the secret counsel of evildoers, from the tumult of those who do iniquity. They have sharpened their tongue like a sword. They aimed bitter speech as their what? Everybody see that. You ever heard the foolish thing, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? That is utter folly. (laughs) The sharpest arrows that you will ever have land in your soul are the words of someone else. And folks, you see here in Psalm 64, It says in verse 4, They do it to shoot from concealment at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at Him and do not fear. They hold fast to themselves an evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretively. They say, who can see them? They devise injustices saying, we are ready with a well-conceived plot. For the inward thought and the heart of man are deep. And what he's saying here is this, is that wicked people can come together collectively and they can come out with a sound plot and literally you can't see it. Because the well of our heart is very, very deep. And at just the right moment, They send forth words like a volcano, like a hurricane hurling at you. And folks, they are going after, if we go back to Psalm 11, they are going back after the upright in heart. The word upright is a Hebrew term that I used quite frequently when I was in Israel. And I used it not in this context, but I used it in the context of giving directions. I didn't know a lot of directions and a lot of words. I I knew how to like take a left, (laughs) take a Right. But if someone came up and asked me for directions in Hebrew, and I would look down the road and I would say, Yassar, Yassar. And what I was saying was, straight ahead. Go straight. This is the word. These are people who are straight in their heart. They're not crooked. They are straight in their heart. This is a person who not only professes righteousness, they are actually have engrafted this in their life. They are walking in this way, and wicked people are taking aim at them. They are taking aim at them with their words. And David was one of those people. He was not a sinless man, as we well know, but he was an upright man. Now folks, is the counselor speaking correctly as far as the observable circumstances? He is, and that's what makes the counsel even more strong. Flee, David. Flee like a bird to your mountains. And you can imagine, here's David in Jerusalem thinking about those mountains where Saul chased him around all those years. And it was in those physical mountains that the Lord protected him. Flee to your mountains, David. But then the counselor kind of comes around to give perhaps the strongest argument for his counsel to flee. And that's given to us in verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now commentators are all over the place on what the foundations are. Some of them think that it's the foundations of society. Some people think that it's the foundations of government in Israel. Well, folks, I just want to ask you this question. What in verse 3 is happening or could happen to the foundations? They are what? Everybody see that? Alright, who's going to destroy them? the wicked people. So who are the foundations? The upright in heart. Isn't that who the wicked is bending the bow, preparing the instrument of death? Isn't that who they're going after? They're going after the upright in heart. They're going after David. So if the upright in heart who are the foundations if they're destroyed then what can the righteous do? And folks, sometimes we can look at our culture and see things being destroyed and ask ourselves, what in the world are we going to do? It is the upright in heart that feel this. It was Elijah who felt it. When he flees to the mountain of God, God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he says, I'm the only one. Did you hear that? I'm the only one left. And they're seeking my life. What is he saying? Foundations have been destroyed. What am I going to do? And folks, do you remember God's answer back to Elijah? He wasn't aware of this. God says, you're talking about foundations. You're talking about the upright in heart. I've reserved 7,000 who've not bowed the knee to Baal. Everybody see that? And Elijah did flee from Jezebel, didn't he? You think about how strong he was up on that mountain and how weak he was in the face of a woman governor. <laughs> and, folks, that brings us lastly to his answer. He says, In the Lord I will take refuge. Folks, what is our answer? to the question what can the righteous do flee like a startled bird what can we do in the lord i will take what refuge Folks, the answer is not to flee like a startled bird to our mate shift mountains of safety. David's response is the response of a man who under the heat, under the heat of the circumstances, what bubbles to the surface is his faith. Everybody see that? That is a faithful statement that David makes. It's in Yahweh, it's in the Lord that I will take refuge. A refuge is a place of safety. A refuge is a place where someone goes and hides themselves from the evil. And folks, David's response is our God-given response to fears. Did you hear what I said? This is God's given response to our fears. To take our place of safety. To hide ourselves in the Lord. Now, we're in the Lord as believing people. But we're talking about living this out. It's one thing for me to say, I'm in Christ, hallelujah, aren't you glad? It's another thing to realize, I'm in Christ and that's the place of my refuge when fears strike me. The Bible calls this refuge a rock. And if you'd like to have these verse numbers, I can give them to you, but the Scripture calls a refuge a rock. Build your house upon the what? The rock. A rock is stable, isn't it? The Bible calls the refuge being under shade. What you look for under the heat of the day. Today we might say, the Lord is my refuge like a good air conditioner. Right? What is a refuge? Here's the way the Scripture words it. It's being under His wings. The picture there is a bird who is sheltering the little birds from the heat of the day and the winds that are being blown around. The Bible calls our refuge a shield. Don't you need a shield? It calls it our deliverer, our savior. It uses the word horn. In our refuge is our strength. It's a stronghold from the violence that is around us. And in Psalm 2, as you go back there, I just want to point this out to you. That you have all the raging of the nations, and you got all the activity of God, and you've got all the warning to the kings of the earth from the Messiah King. And look at what he says in verse 12 Do homage to the Son, and that he not become angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. Did you note that last phrase? How blessed are all who take what? Refuge in him. Folks, the refuge is the place of God's blessing. It's the place of His favor. The Bible calls it a bulwark. Like a defensive wall that's holding out all the violence and all the anxieties and all the fears of life. It's called a defense. It's the defense against the offense of our adversary. I love this. The refuge is called... In the book of Psalms, the place of no condemnation. It is the place of our inheritance, Isaiah 57. And the name of this place is called in the book of Isaiah, Zion. And in Zephaniah, it says that this refuge is the place where certain types of people dwell. the humble and the lowly. Doesn't that sound refreshing? (laughs) When you are surrounded by the violence of prideful people to dwell in a place where humble and lowly people are there. And folks, here's the thing about this refuge, lastly, in Nahum, it says this, that those who take refuge, the Lord knows them. He not only knows they're there, He knows them in an intimate relationship. Don't you love David saying that? In the Lord, I will take my refuge. I'm not going to flee like a startled bird. I'm not going to be taken captive By the plots of wicked people or circumstances that enter into my life, I'm going to have fears. But what happens when those fears come? Flee? No. In the Lord, I will take my refuge. And, folks, when you do that, you're at the place where you can make sound judgments, you can go to the text and make sound decisions, you can walk in sobriety. Now I want us to turn to one last passage. Psalm 118, and I'm going to close with this. Because brethren, you only have two options. You can either take refuge in the Lord, or you can do this... Psalm 118, verse 8. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Verse 9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Everybody see that? Folks, you only have two choices. You're either going to place your confidence in the Lord and in His refuge, or you're going to put your confidences in the same places that fallen men and women put theirs. They will put their confidences in themselves. They will trust their own devices, their own ways, their own look at how they look at things, the deductions that they make, the decisions that they come to. They'll trust their own places of safety and security. Or you will trust in groups of men like government. That's what a prince is, isn't it? They're leaders of government or you will put your confidence in your government. Now folks, we're living in a day where over pro- probably overwhelming majority but I know at least over a half of our nation says that the answers to all of our fears is government. We need more government. We need the government to take more control. Now, even on the other side of the coin, people are saying the same thing. We're going to trust in government, but we need to be it under our power. That if it was under our power, then we could rule the economy, we could govern the economy, we could restore things back the way they were. Both of them are putting confidence in fallen men and women. You say, but I have fears. I do too but we must take our refuge in the lord it is better and that's an understatement it is better to take refuge in the lord than to trust in anything else other than christ whether that be yourself or another individual or the internet or government, or the United Nations, it is better to take our refuge in Him. Now as I close, what fears are you battling today that you are frightened like a little startled bird? And you need to step back, confess that, And say, I'm going to take my refuge in you. I'm going to follow scriptural light and scriptural steps because that's the place of blessing. That's where I want to be. I want you to be my defense and my shield. I want you to guard my heart and my life. I want to be hid in you. You say, Well, I don't have any fears. Well, I'm pretty confident you will. And you need to prepare yourself to not be startled like a bird, but to be settled on the rock of our salvation. Let's pray.